We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Haw. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score. Going to bring in Ozzie Guillen. Good morning, guys. Very glad to be back with you guys. Mike Clevenger is under investigation for domestic abuse and for child abuse and let Major League Baseball do its investigation. I'm very sad because this kid, I know what they talk about him helping the White Sox, talking about him, about, him, about his life, of the field. Uh, Mike can't play anymore. You know, it's just so many negative stuff waiting for him. It's, it's just sad stuff to be watching. At right field, there's still a question. Why is the Sox roster this incomplete this late in the winter? I hope somebody has some guts in, in the White Sox organization to tell him before spring training got to give him a call. Say, Listen, bro, you go to BLDH. You broke off wrong for the last three years to put you in the outfield. But I think this ball club is better with him in the, the DH spot. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. No more DH. On 670 The Score. <laughs> the, the Sox have a world of problems. Let's go. Bully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. It is Thursday, January 26th. January 26th, Mr. David. A glorious day in Chicago sports history. Morning, Molly. Yes, it is. Happy anniversary to you and all those Bears fans out there, too. <laughs> Go Bears! Yeah, this is the uh, the one and only, the lone Super Bowl title for the Chicago Bears uh, was in 1986 on this very day. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. It's It's fun to reminisce every year. This comes around, I think, in Chicago. This should be some sort of holiday, shouldn't it? You either don't have to go to school, maybe go into work late, whatever the case may be. There aren't many other days in Chicago sports history that conjure up those kind of feelings, nostalgic, whatever the case may be. This is a special day in the memories of a lot of Bears fans. Why not mark it on your calendar each and every year? and do something that you wouldn't normally, normally do and maybe stay home or, or watch the game or put on your, <laughs> put on your coach vest. Yeah, I love that idea. The, uh, the, the, you get to go into work late. I mean, even, even 10 minutes people would enjoy. Who are we kidding? Yeah. You get a day off of school because God knows it's impossible to concentrate if you weren't alive when this occurred. But, you know uh, what it <laughs> It would just—it would just be nice if Civic there holiday. could be something to like distract us from this holiday or from this anniversary. If there were playoff football in Chicago to compete with this, so there wouldn't have to be an anniversary to mark. There could be other history to make. It would be glorious if there were playoff football in Chicago. But I think when you look at this Final Four, you can't help but wonder: Wow. Uh, how far away are you? I mean, these are some good teams left. Uh, obviously, there's a few rookie quarterbacks. I think that was pointed out by Micah Parsons. <laughs> Did you see that tweet? It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. it was. It, I don't know that he anticipated the kind of reaction. Certainly, he could not have because it was it interpreted as a direct hit on his quarterback. I guess it is a direct hit on his quarterback. It's also an interesting football observation. Hmm. It's an interesting football observation. He he tweeted out that other than Patrick Mahomes, everybody left is uh, is a rookie quarterback. Uh, or, excuse me, still on their rookie contract. 
And uh, I thought that was very interesting because Dak is is not. And, and so you immediately begin interpreting what he's saying. Are you saying that you have to be – you have to have a guy on his rookie contract in order to get – as far as as people are getting in the playoffs, you have to have a Jalen Hurts. You have to have a, a Brock Purdy. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Joe Burrow, the great Joe Burrow, still on his rookie deal. Interesting. Interesting observation. And, again, maybe only because the best player on the Dallas Cowboys notices that his quarterback doesn't belong with the others. Well, who knew that Micah Parsons – could analyze the league as well as he rushes the quarterback. But (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what he did, Molly. Had this come from somebody on the NFL Network or or, or one of the game day shows, it would have been like, yeah, nodding your heads in agreement. This is what you understand and why when you have a quarterback on his rookie deal, you have the the clock ticking as loud as possible because you know you could surround him with talent because you can afford it. You're not going to be up against the cap. And Parsons was basically saying that because they paid Dak Prescott a king's ransom and they were limited by what else they could add to that roster. And you saw how limited that roster was in comparison to the 49ers. It's very interesting. It's also interesting that Patrick Mahomes uh, is the only one who has already won a Super Bowl, for God's sake, is the only uh, player among that group that, uh, that is not on his rookie deal. Um, he, I, I gotta tell you, I watched him walking off the stage about six times. I just kept rewinding (laughs) that video. Like it's the Zapruder film studying, like, is there a limp there? He didn't jump off the stage. He certainly, it was so weird the way I kept, I I was fascinated by that little bit of video. Not any weirder than anybody else who was really kind of, Uh, mesmerized by this story or watching closely I found myself I did it once and then I found myself wondering did they rehearse that you think they rehearsed walking off the stage because or the podium because he so a a limp would not be detected if I walk like this if I do that because he you know he looks healthy he sounds healthy and look what it did to the line it moved now it's a pick'em game and I also (laughs) think that they're just trying to toy with the Bengals. There's no way he can be as healthy as he sounded no. if indeed he had a high ankle sprain. That's the thing. I mean, to report he has a high ankle sprain and then to see that tape and to, and to hear his confidence, and I, it just was an incongruity. It, it was just con, con, a real contra, uh, contradiction. It, a a, a sp- I don't care. If you have a high ankle sprain, you cannot be – I guess there's different grades of ankle sprain, but, man, that that is uh, – because I keep thinking what makes him special is his ability to move and buy time in the pocket and, and then uh, make a throw. And if he is strictly a pocket passer, he's still awful good. Don't get me wrong. He's a great player. But he's not – the entity that he is right so right right I, I find it I find the line to be fascinating in this game because no one knows what to make of it and it, it's changing all the time and it's absolutely it's it's these kind of jumps and these herky-jerky stops as people are trying to figure out if this guy's going to be good or not as simple as that can he play and just to add to why we brought up Patrick Mahomes here, the Micah Parsons comment. You're right. He is the only quarterback who has gotten paid. But, Molly, I think if we look at it, he got paid after he won the Super Bowl. Yes. And he won the Super Bowl on his rookie contract. And the fact that he got paid forced the Chiefs to unload Tyree Kill because they couldn't afford both of them. So, Patrick Mahomes, in a way, makes Micah Parsons' point, a point that everybody who covers the NFL understands well. Right, right. And we always talk about that. You know, we always talk about it in Chicago. It would be uh, looking at at uh, Justin Fields and understanding that uh, that you are now uh, you're, you're starting to, to kind of tick down that clock. And so if he continues to grow, if you get better, 
then your your window is now a concern because you're going to have to pay him a lot of money, and the price for quarterbacks seems to be going up by the minute. So it's uh, it's a really interesting comment that he made that we're aware of, that everybody kind of knows you're on a clock with uh, with your rookie contract with quarterbacks. That's why nobody's going to look at this offseason with $115 million in cap space as one that carries any kind of urgency for the Bears. And yet, I always think there is a sense of urgency in the NFL, yes. and I think there's got to be. And so you approach it that way. That's why, Molly, to that degree, I was a little surprised. I really, you know, we both have tons of respect. Boomer Esiason knows the league and is as busy and active as anybody who covers it and talks about it. I was a little surprised that he wasn't more on board with the idea of Saquon Barkley joining the Bears or Saquon Barkley being, frankly, a wise investment over a 17-game schedule because of the threat to injury. His appearance on the afternoon show was terrific, as it always is. But I guess that also I'm a little biased because I do think the Bears, with all that money, can afford uh, uh, an accessory like Saquon Barkley, unlike maybe other teams who are up against the cap. Yeah, I mean, the Bears can afford anything, and the Bears can <laughs> afford to lead the market in anything. It, it, you know, they, the, the issue for the Bears is not deciding what position. It's just it's how many. How many guys are you going to go out? How many big-name guys are you going to go out and get? I mean, there are a lot of teams with, you know, $50 million, $55 million. It's not like, it's not like you – but no one comes near the amount of money they have. So they can do literally whatever they want and still have tons of money to do it again and again. I don't think they want to get comfortable because they have – Justin Fields on his rookie contract. I guess that's what I'm saying in this offseason. And that's why what he had to say, let's hear what Boomer had to say about Saquon Barkley as a free agent. I know that Saquon was holding out for money that Christian McCaffrey get. I wouldn't pay him that. That's about $16 million a year. I wouldn't do that. I think the Giants are willing to probably go somewhere around 12, 13, maybe push the $14 million a year. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a really good player. You know, he's not Barry Sanders. He's not Gale Sayers. He's not Walter Payton. I'm telling you that. I mean, he's a good player. I, I, I give him, you know, he's an A player, but he's not an A-plus player. I don't necessarily know that he is truly a difference maker. Um, but if you feel like you need, you know, top-end running back to go with your quarterback, uh, you know, I wouldn't not take him, depending on what the money is. But I don't think the Giants the Giants want him. They just they realize that they're not going to be able to meet what he thinks he can get on the open market. So it could be a trade, it could be a, like a, a tag and trade type of situation, uh, or the Giants will relent and give him a million dollars more, maybe a little bit more upfront money. But I just you just can't pay a running back big money these days in the in the NFL. Just simply you can't count on them to show up for all seventeen games. That is Boomer Sison, and he's he's right. I mean, you really, that is a luxury item. Unfortunately, the value of the running back position is as low now as it's ever been because of exactly what he said there. You just, you can't keep guys uh, up and running and healthy, etc. But I, I, you know, 16 million for Christian McCaffrey, I'm sure they don't regret making that trade. And I'm sure it's put them in a different position and it's made the quarterback less valuable they've got issues though because they got to figure out what they're going to do uh with the quarterback if he's their quarterback he had a really good year for a quarterback he had been a guy that uh that was kind of out of luck and and what made them dynamic was they leaned into the fact that they had a running quarterback with a a great running back and they got to the playoffs i i you know would that be worth that much money for the bears it's I, well, I doubt they'd spend it, David. Just knowing the way they have spent up to this point, it would be, it would be. A, I mean, they they understand the value on offense of having an offensive football team. I just I have a hard time kind of envisioning that if they wouldn't keep David Montgomery at significantly less. Well, we have no history to base Ryan Poles's you know uh, uh, next move on. We we don't right. know how aggressive he wants to lean into this idea of being a running football team. That would do it. And I think that when you talk about premium positions, and I understand the argument, but we get kind of caught up 
in that argument and apply one principle to every team. And I think right. every team's approach to roster building helps determine the value on that specific team's depth chart. So if you are a Bears offense and you are coming off of a season where you were historically good running the football and you have a quarterback who is you know, a generational talent when he's running the football, you could justify a $14 million a year running back, even with the risks that are accepted and inherent. But I, I also think this, when he said he's not a difference maker, that surprised me. I think yeah. Saquon Barkley most definitely makes a difference for any defense and defensive coordinator preparing for whatever offense he's on. Yeah, I, you know, I think, David, just being realistic, if um, if you added him to your offense, your offense would be better than it was. Simple as that. He is he is a better player than a lot of guys in. The, he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, my concern with the Bears has been on the line of scrimmage, and I think they need more on the offensive line and more on the defensive line. I know they need more on the defensive line. And and that might be the way I'd want to begin the rebuild from the inside out. But when a talent like that is available, you have to stop and contemplate what you would look like with that player. There are exceptions to every rule, and I do wonder this. I know money talks and speaks the loudest in free agency, but I do wonder about the so-called Pied Piper effect. If the Bears went out on the first day of free agency during the legal tampering period and all of a sudden there's a report Saquon Barkley and the Bears agree to a five-year, you know, $95 million contract, whatever, with so many guarantees, I don't know what the parameters would be. But I do wonder what effect that would have. If he were the first guy to sign in free agency for the Bears, who comes next? What do they do next? How dangerous and curious are you about how dangerous are the Bears and what, what kind of curiosity do, do they become? All kinds of fun stuff to consider. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, the thing is, when you have that kind of money and there aren't like a ton of wide receivers coming available, you know, we know, we know what the Bears, uh, if, if you think about Ryan Poles, he comes from Kansas City. So we kind of have an idea of how they view uh, all these things. I mean, they. I think speed is really important. I think that they want to have impact players. Uh, they want to build that offense. This would, this would be kind of a shortcut to ensuring that you're you're a pretty good team. Maybe even a team that could uh, be on a playoff track if you get a player that is that good. Uh, so I think it's something you have to contemplate. I, what I'm saying is I'm not sure they would do it. I'm not sure they don't believe that they can get right. other value. And, and I, You know what I'm saying? When the yeah, guy I do says, know. remember where I came from, yeah. it, it isn't it – isn't you know, it, it's not smash-mouth football. It, it is uh, it's kind of a speed-oriented open offense where, you know, again, you're, you're looking at volume plays. He's not coming from Cleveland. You know, he, he, he's not coming from a place that utilized uh, two backs and leaned on the running game. And even though his offensive line background and pedigree makes you think that he could live with that, you're right. It is unrealistic, I believe. And as a, an 815 texter points out, you can get more with a lesser back if you spent that kind of money on the offensive line. Totally true. I want to do both. Yeah. I want to get somebody who is an anchor on the offensive line and a weapon that makes Justin Fields even more dangerous because of the the threats in that backfield. So, look, until they don't do it, it's fun to consider that they might. Yeah. And, David, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that um, I think what, what it underscores to me is just the world of possibility. You know, they, they right now can go in a lot of different directions, and they can, they can do – pretty much anything they want you know they they are going to be able to outbid anybody because they're going to have to spend a certain amount of money and they're going to have to figure out how how to do so when you're when you're shopping in free agency you're usually uh out there because you have drafted poorly and you are trying to make up for a draft error and the thing about free agency is you're paying absolute premium prices it's not like there are a lot of bargains out there 
Occasionally, you can get yourself an Akeem Hicks, but but most of the time, you're overpaying for guys that aren't good enough. Um, so you got to be really careful about trying to maintain some sense of salary cap, even if you have money to burn, because eventually you're going to have to fill other positions too. And eventually, thank you, Michael Parsons, you're going to have to pay your quarterback. You're going to have to remain (laughs) flux and and fluid and be able to have enough space uh, under your cap to when that bill comes due. And hopefully it does after – You've begun to turn things around. It, it's a it's a very circular conversation because it's like you yeah. can make the argument as I as I would probably if I'm in that room I would I would be challenging Ryan Poles to think ambitiously in this off season with when it comes to free agency, understanding you're going the reality you're going to overpay. So let's start with somebody who would make us different because we already have a unicorn at quarterback. Let's continue to be that kind of team offensively. Without, without neglecting the offensive lines or defensive lines, you're right. You, you want to do everything, and you want to do it now. That's the problem. So yeah, it's I, just tough. I, you know, I, I think there's a lot to, to uh, pick apart and talk about, um, and we're going to do it, uh, obviously, in the pick six. One of the things that I heard yesterday uh, that I, that I kind of knew but I hadn't thought it, uh, about it in that fashion is that uh, your man Brock Purdy – Started 48 games in college, which yeah. is which is an extraordinary number. I mean, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I did not look it up, but but one of the things that uh, that happened uh, with uh, with Seattle is they drafted a quarterback that I think it was like 54 starts in college uh, for for Russell Wilson. It it was just one of these things where. You know, how can a quarterback remain composed? How do you go through something like this and get to the point where you can potentially be the uh, the, the uh, first rookie quarterback ever to get to a Super Bowl? Well, maybe if you've played that many games, maybe if you know, maybe the the scouting miss on Brock Purdy wasn't size, arm strength, speed; it was experience. It was that the guy had been in a lot of games, a lot of games. That's a that's that's years as a starter. It's hard to measure composure. Yeah. It's hard to recognize poise until you have to recognize poise. And when you start that many games in college, what you do as an athlete, I think, is he has conditioned himself to process that anxiety, whether it's at the line, in the pocket, or before a game. Those leadership skills, those intangibles, frankly, are what you look, are looking for when you're drafting a quarterback, you know, whether it's in the first round or the seventh round, Molly. I think that right. those are a lot of things that you can't – you know, I think we become somewhat mesmerized by the physical traits in the first round. Can this guy, you know, do things in the pocket or out of the pocket, whatever the case may be. But that's a great observation because Brock Purdy has done what he's done because he's surrounded by a ton of talent and a great coaching staff, but also – because he has this uncommon poise. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I mean that's that's from playing a lot. That's that's my point. I I think I hadn't thought through how many, you know, how does a guy maintain his composure? Well, I mean, if you haven't done it often, you know, it's really hard to do. If you're Test going him. through something for the first time, it's impossible to do, you, right? I, so, I imagine his second season at Iowa State, he wasn't so composed. But by his fourth season starting, yes, he was yes. pretty much, you know, you, you couldn't you couldn't fluster a Brock Purdy. That's pretty interesting. So we'll get into it. We'll pick those games apart. We're going to have a lot of fun. A lot of We're going to pick apart all the stories of the day. We'll do that next with the pick six. It's Mully and Haw on the score. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And 
sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. Are you at all surprised that Patrick Mahomes made a definitive statement about his availability against the Bengals on Sunday? AFC Championship week, ready to go. Was that statement as big as a larger statement of Mahomes listed as a full participant at Wednesday's practice? How about the player insisting his ankle has progressed since the Jaguars game? Yeah, I got to tell you, if he had a high ankle sprain and he has a miracle healing here, that's uh, that's beyond extraordinary. I don't know uh, how that is possible. And and frankly, you know, you watched him play in that game and even coming out of it, even with the victory, you wondered, did they have to put him through that? Did, Did he have to play for them to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars? Was that the the wisest use of the player? I mean, he obviously went right to the facility, and he's been working on it for days. There was not a noticeable limp. He wasn't in a uh, uh, any kind of a uh, a boot or anything. He just he was out there, and apparently he practiced. Now, well, you know, obviously we didn't see the practice, so we don't know what he was practicing. Was he taking snaps and throwing the ball from the pocket? Was he able to move? None of that is information that that is or will be available to uh to anyone but the uh the fact of the matter is that he was listed as a full participant in practice and that would the message that they're sending is that he's playing and that's the end of it that's what he's saying they've been consistent with that and uh and the message to the Bengals is you know come and get some i'm ready to go i'm ready to play I can't imagine with a high ankle sprain that, that we're going to come out of that game feeling the same way. I, at some point or other, he's going to be hopping around again. Maybe it was a little uh, Karate Kid-esque. Maybe Mr. Miyagi in his uh, role came over and uh, laid hands on the Chiefs quarterback's uh, high ankle sprain and, and, and helped out, right? Maybe he paid a visit to Patrick Mahomes. But listen, this guy, he, he's dedicated to his craft. And we don't know. That's the other thing. High ankle sprain could have been a one. And I'm guessing that it's a one based on the fact that he's able to go. There's a video out there circulating of him uh, walking off the, uh, the little podium, if you will, at the uh, practice facility out in Kansas City. No boot. I also saw a video of him kind of high-stepping with Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs practice field. But you're right, Mully. We don't know exactly what he did you know, was it a walkthrough? I think today's injury report will be just as important to those that are investing in this game. But the game started Chiefs minus two and a half. It then went to the Bengals minus two and a half. Yesterday, it was the Bengals minus one and a half. I woke up this morning, go to Bet Rivers, and it's a pick 'em. And I'll tell you what, guys like. Joe O and Nick Costos always tell you to bet early, bet often, and maybe this was a time because I'd love, I would love to have uh, Patrick Mahomes and two and a half points in my pocket against the Bengals this Sunday. 
I saw both those videos too, Dustin. I saw him gingerly walking off the podium. I saw him jogging in practice because that's all we're privy to and that's all the time that they're allotted to see practice and that's fine. I did not see Sam Hubbard chasing him. And I think that's going to be a difference if you have a defensive lineman bearing down on Patrick Mahomes. That's what you're afraid of. How is his escapability? What will it be like in real time in the AFC Championship game when the Bengals are playing for a trip to the Super Bowl? Can't predict those things, but we do know this. His ankle was compromised. I don't know if it's grade one, grade two. I don't know how many sports doctors are out there in the Twitterverse and everything else about you know evaluating it. But the stakes are high. He's going to try to play. It's going to change the game because the Chiefs cannot be as aggressive. He's not going to be the same quarterback. That magic element might be missing a little bit. That said, Patrick Mahomes is 75%, still more dangerous than probably 80% of the quarterbacks in the National Football League. I wouldn't take him lightly uh, at all. They're not, but I do expect him after yesterday to play. Yeah, I'm not talking necessarily about a pick six or something like that. Our guy Brad Biggs, who will be here at seven, pointed out that only four NFL teams have had a longer drought of consecutive winning seasons since the Bears last did it in 05-06. Carolina has never done it since entering the league in 1995. Cleveland last achieved the feat from 86 through 89. The Raiders from 2000 to 02. Jacksonville from 04 to 05. Which of those teams will pull it off next, and how long will it be for the Bears? <laughs> I mean, th- this is this is troubling. It just doesn't seem to be something that. Uh, I mean, Bigsy, uh, we'll talk to him. Looking forward to that, but I I just don't know what this does except for underscore how far away the bears are i i i want to say you know everybody wants to say next year they can have a winning season what are you basing that on i mean that that's just blind faith that's just trying to celebrate an anniversary of the super bowl 20 by saying <laughs> we believe that can happen duck coach now I, I don't think that you can look at the bears and whether it's this statistic or what we had the other day about six teams that haven't won a playoff game in a decade, there's all kinds of low watermarks that we can measure and all kinds of futility we can mark. You're going to start to believe in the Bears when they start to do things in the way that other winning organizations do. I think they are off to uh, a good start in this monumental, significant offseason. I do think the team president will start to change the direction. So we do have sustained success at Hallis Hall. And we aren't talking about this in another five to ten years. But I don't know that I can look at this number and want to, as much as I try, see reasons to think, well, you know what, next year, yeah, ten and seven. No, I, even before they sign their first player, I think it's hard to envision a winning year. Well, nine and eight, David, that's still a winning, that's still a winning season since we have the 17-game uh, schedule now. I think this answer is pretty easy. I think it's the Jaguars. The AFC South just stinks out loud. It's awful. Um, the, the Texans are picking, you know, should be picking number one. They're picking number two. The Colts um, are a mess, and they might have Jeff Saturday as their head coach if the owner uh, gets his way, and the Tennessee Titans are in a bit of a flux as well. So I think the Jaguars are the team that has the most likely ability to have uh, uh, winning seasons in, in years in a row. Um, but I think the Bears are right behind there. I have no faith in the Panthers, the Browns, or the Raiders. I mean, who, which which uh, which guy taking Geritol is playing quarterback for the Raiders next year? And so maybe they'll have one consecutive <laughs> winning season, and then that person will go off into the sunset and and, and renew their ARP membership. A Geritol reference? Yeah, it, it, I mean, Dustin is living in another universe. Uh, Pat Morita shuffled off this mortal coil and. 19, uh, excuse me, 2004 Dustin, so I don't think he was the guy Mr. Morita wasn't uh, was the, Mr. So he didn't lay, he didn't lay hands on, Joe, he no, didn't lay hands on no, Patrick Mahomes? No, okay. uh, at any rate um, Maybe it was the Karate Kid then, maybe you know, maybe, maybe yeah. it was him because he learned from the from Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it was uh, Ralph Macchio, Ralph Macchio. I yeah. think he's like 61 Dustin I mean, I, honestly, I, I he's not the Karate Kid anymore no, now it's Cobra but Kai, right? Is that what it is? I, I, I've not You're watched so it. hip. Yeah, you got it all together. Your references are so hip. Um, look, I, I, Big Z 
makes a point that I think is an important one to remember, which is the Bears have gone a long time without winning consecutive seasons. You know, it, it is pretty ugly. They've never done it under uh, George McCaskey, uh, his leadership. The Bears have uh, have moved some things around. We're hopeful that there's going to be kind of a, a new sheriff in town and there's going to be a higher standard now. Um, we still are waiting to see what this is going to look like. Obviously, Jacksonville has already got one under their belt, right? They had a winning season this year, didn't they? Um, so that, that – or did they? I don't even remember. I know they made the playoffs, and you're right. The NFC South's terrible. But if you get the right uh, uh, geriatric quarterback, in, uh, <laughs> and maybe, maybe that works. I mean, I don't know. These well, teams are all a little bit farther along. Maybe, maybe um, not necessarily Cleveland. But these teams are all a little bit – the Bears are starting from scratch here. They, right. they got a quarterback. That's great. They're like the anti-Niners, right? They, instead of having everything but the, but the quarterback, they've got the quarterback and nothing else. So I think there's a lot of work to be done, and I hope that they have the right people to do it. But if, if the history of this organization bears out, you're, you're looking at some dark years followed by a new group coming in. And let's just go with what Dustin said, 9-8, and eight, or even, dare I say, 10-7. and seven. What makes you think that is going to be, based on history, the beginning of a consecutive uh, streak of winning seasons? The Bears are like, I mean, you look at history, one-hit wonders. They're like Milli Vanilli. Yes. But they've they never had up. the quarterback. As Mully mentioned, they've never had the quarterback. So that's why, to answer that question quickly, David, that's why, because of Justin Fields, that's why they have the opportunity to do it back-to-back years. Oh, that's a great question. That's the voice of Nick Costos. He'll be here at 745 this morning. The Prop King, do the Eagles have a significant advantage at QB in the NFC title game, or is Jalen Hurts at a competitive disadvantage? Are the two youngest quarterbacks in the game's history asked to do different things? Hurts, he's 24 years old, 175 days, has to produce a victory, while Brock Purdy is 23 years, 33 days, is asked to make no mistakes. Is he under considerably less pressure? I, I really like this question. Um, yeah, that, that is the age of both players uh, on the day of the game, on the day of the championship game. So, um, you know, Jalen Hurts is a young man, and he is experienced in the NFL. He has played, started for a couple of years, and, uh, and I think that he has had almost an MVP season. I mean, uh, it, it's certainly in the conversation for that. And he has uh, he has led his team to the point where if he doesn't make plays, I'm not sure they can win the game. If they have to go to Garden uh, Minshew, I don't Gardner Minshew. I don't think they win the game, right? I, I I think that they need Hurts, they need him healthy, and they need him making plays in order to win. And I don't think that's the case with Brock Purdy. Now, does that put him under less pressure? You know, we talked about the idea that that um, he really only has to worry about being able to not make mistakes until that changes, until they get to a point where they are trailing. Then he's going to have to make plays. We haven't seen him under a ton of pressure. We have seen a really good team and a really good defense that, that really has dominated pretty much everyone they've played, and the quarterback hasn't been a, He's just part of the machinery of that thing. He is not the the guy that is kind of leading the way. But, um, yeah, I, I would say there's a lot more pressure on Hurts than on uh, Brock Purdy because, because Purdy doesn't have to do things to make them win. He has to not do things to ensure that they win. And he's done a great job of it. He's been unbelievably composed. But it is a different role. I'd agree with you, Molly, that there is there's different roles for these two signal callers, but I, I gotta just think that the amount of pressure that both guys are under is immense. And, and and I might even say it's greater on Purdy because of what we're doing right now. Everybody is saying they got everything. The 49ers have it all except Mr. Irrelevant, right? So the pressure to know that because they have everything except me, and everybody thinks I am the weak link, I think that there's almost more pressure on Purdy than there is on Jalen Hurts. 
I disagree. Shocking. I, I, I respect. I respectfully <laughs> disagree. I, I'm not. I'm not dim- diminishing what you're saying. I think it's a. It's a valid point of view. You supported well, but, I mean, who who was it that said if you, if you expect nothing from somebody, you're never going to be disappointed. And so you you come into this game and you're the 49ers and you apply that to your quarterback. Heck, you go back seven, eight games and you apply that to your quarterback. He's your third quarterback. He was the last guy drafted. There are no expectations when it comes to Brock Purdy. He has exceeded them right now. He could have a five for 23 day with three picks and still look at this year, his rookie season as a success. Not for the 49ers, but for him individually. Meanwhile, comma, over in Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts has got to win. Jalen Hurts has got to be the reason they win. Jalen Hurts has got to take that team to the Super Bowl. You know why? Because his expectations are higher. He did have an MVP-type season. He does play in Philadelphia. My goodness sakes. If Jalen Hurts doesn't lead this team to the Super Bowl, can you imagine the offseason, what the talk will be uh, if he's the reason they lose? So absolutely, 100% positively, Jalen Hurts has more pressure Sunday than Brock Purdy. That's, yeah, there's a lot of questions there. So. In Mel Kuyper's most recent mock draft, he lists the Colts, the Raiders, the Panthers as the top trade candidates to move up for the number one overall pick. No mention of the Texans. He also mocked the Bears keeping the pick and taking the Georgia tackle Jalen Carter. But it's very early. And which part did you find most surprising? The teams Kuyper expects to move up or the player he has the Bears taking? And just for clarification, he was not mocking the Bears. His mock draft had the Bears taking um, Jalen Carter. I'm just reading. Say, I'm just reading the question, I know. David. The question was poorly worded, and I submitted the question, and I will fall on that sword. I'm sorry. Um, he wasn't mocking the Bears. I think that the Jalen Carter uh, pick or the projection that they would take Carter is what he feels today. It's pre-workout season. It's pre-combine. It's all those things. So that could change very easily to Will Anderson, depending on the week or who is evaluating him. I wouldn't get too far uh, down the road on that. It did surprise me that he didn't have the Texans involved. He, it, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what the league is saying about the Texans and their, their situation at quarterback, depending on who takes that job. Maybe Derek Carr is more likely to land up where David Carr once played and people around the league think that and that's why they would be out of the mix so i'm more intrigued by the three teams the colts the raiders and the panthers uh moving up and being the trade partners potentially the colts depending on what uh, quarterback they they sign who's on geritol i i would think that i am a little bit surprised i guess at the raiders and there's a uh a CBS sports mock draft that we could talk about later. If you guys want about what they had a scenario about what the bears could get. I'd love to hear you guys run that past bigs at seven o'clock. Um, but maybe the Texans are saying, Hey, we're calling your bluff bears. Like you don't need a quarterback. And Mully, you mentioned about the bears having a quarterback and nothing else. I mean, the Texans have nothing. So for them to get rid of future draft compensation in order to move up that one spot, I think that would be foolish on their part because they need all the picks they can get. Yeah, you know, it's, um, again, this is this is Mel's uh, first mock draft, and in it he didn't include any trades because he, you know, you don't normally do that on your first mock. So, you know, you just want to try to follow basically, it, it, you know, what are a team's needs and how do you match them up? You know, we talked to Rick Spielman. They had done their first mock draft, and Rick, with the first overall pick, took Jalen Carter to the Bears. I think that everybody understands that there is a need there for a three-technique player and that that would be a really nice match. So uh, it, it, it makes perfect sense. I do think, though, given the fact that they've traded their uh, – their second round pick for Chase Claypool that the Bears having just one pick in the top 53 uh, the next pick is 53 so I guess the top 52 they need to gain more picks and I I think the disturbing thing was you know Mel was all over ESPN yesterday and he was saying that it's not a good draft now the reality of any draft is you can find players at any round you can always find players in an NFL draft but let's just hope that that's what they do because if it's not a draft where you feel like there's a ton of uh, 
stars in it, you got to make sure that you get enough for a team like the Bears that is uh, in a rebuilding mode of their own uh, device. It's an interesting question. The Bulls drafted Dalen Terry with the 18th overall selection of the first round, and he's played 55 minutes toiling on the bench and known best for being the team's biggest cheerleader. He's averaging 13 points and seven boards for the Windy City Bulls. Do you still trust the Bulls' development plan for the first rounder, or with a team with inconsistent focus, could they use more of Terry's energy? Okay. Um, we're out of sync, maybe. I don't know. Hey, we're um, off one. We're on the Bulls. Yep. It's, okay, so do I go? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I would say that um, I think, to me, the Dalen Terry pick and his development underscores how few really good players are available in, in an NFL, uh, NBA draft. I think that, you know, they saw traits, they drafted traits, and it's going to take a while for that to develop. So – I haven't lost faith with their development plan. I just think that this is a guy that uh, that they liked some of the things that he can do, and they're going to see where that goes. Um, but I'm, you know, to me, the, uh, you know, the, the 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 it's still there's, you know, they made an investment in the guy, and the jury's still out. It doesn't look great, but we're we're going to wait and see how he turns out. I think he should be playing daily for the Windy City Bulls. It may be at least like locally. So maybe he doesn't go on the road trips and then he can go to the Bulls home games if the schedule matches up that way to be around the team. But he needs to play. Playing is what's going to make him better. I don't know if I feel duped, but I am disappointed. I've, I go back to the draft and when they took him and boy, that was fun. It was a, a celebration of Dale and Terry and what he could be. And we talked to the people out and Arizona and there was a connection and all those kinds of things and you thought that a guy that athletic that energetic with that much charisma was going to find his way onto the court in meaningful minutes hasn't happened I don't know if it will I don't know what's wrong I don't know what is keeping him off the court I know it's young you don't want to draw conclusions with somebody that young but it is a lesson learned the next time the Bulls take somebody in the first round there's going to be a lot more skepticism surrounding the optimism that they're expressing because this is an example of why you can't get too carried away on draft night or in the in the weeks that follow. Dalen Terry has not contributed in a way that they thought that he would. Don't know why exactly, but maybe maybe we'll see more of him. But um, it has been somewhat of a disappointment. Lesson learned. That's the million dollar question. The voice of Will Purdue. Should the White Sox throw out Mike Clevenger, even if it costs them twelve million, or is it uh, wiser? to wait and see if he can save the money. If the Sox are hopefully looking for a starting pitcher, are you looking for a trade, a free agent like Michael Waka, or an internal option? Any possibility Lopez, Lopi, could move out of the bullpen and attempt to make it in the rotation? Well, great column in the Chicago Tribune by Paul Sullivan. I think his sentiments are what we said yesterday, and they were echoed. You can't, if you're the White Sox, put Mike Clevenger on the mound. He can't be part of your organization. Now the, it, it becomes a, a question of how you do that. And you have to, it requires some savvy. It might require some patience, but you're going to have to buy yourself some time. The major league investigation isn't complete yet. When that is done, then I think they will place them on administrative leave if they don't act. And there's that tool at your disposal if you're the White Sox. Until they place him on administrative leave, if you want no part of him, as you should not want any part of Mike Clevenger moving forward, I think then you, you know, if, if it costs you $12 million to do the right thing, it's money well spent. They may be able to not make that, uh, spend that money if indeed they get the, the assistance of MLB and they, they do the right thing too. So it's going to be a waiting game. It's not going to happen as fast as we would like, but I do hope it trends in the direction where the White Sox are going to move on from Mike Clevenger and find themselves a reasonable option. Waka, sure, come on down. As Ozzy pointed out yesterday with you guys, they are now moving into plan B um, and looking at social media yesterday, like I do oftentimes, especially Twitter, a lot of White Sox fans were saying, you know who would look good in the White Sox rotation right now? Carlos Rodon. And you know what else Carlos Rodon is and that I will say I will agree with is that Carlos Rodon, good guy. You all seemed like a really good guy. Johnny Cueto. But no, you know, what was why, why not Johnny Cueto? He, I bet he was cheaper than Mike Clevenger. Good guy. 
You know what the Cubs have been doing? Bringing in a bunch of guys, good guys. Let's see if they can play. But, but it should matter. Good guys should matter. There's a reason Mike Clevenger was available. There's a reason why his hometown team didn't keep him around. I don't think Ronaldo Lopez is an option because, unfortunately, they have issues, the White Sox, on the back end of the bullpen right now. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to, uh, to see what's happened with Daylon Terry. Oh, wait a minute. No, let's go back to the White Sox, I guess, right? Um, Ronaldo Lopez, is he going to be the closer? If he's not, maybe try him in the rotation. I, listen, Clevenger, I don't want to ever see on the mound for the White Sox. I don't want to see the guy at, at spring training. So what is the point of waiting? Well, we'll get our money back. We'll get eight, We'll make $8 million if we are just patient. You should be ashamed of yourself for this ever coming up, for this ever happening. And and uh, I, I would I would recommend that they just drop the guy and move on. You know, they, they can afford it. And if they can't afford to get a player as a result of this, that's on them. That was their decision. They made the mistake. Uh, you know, should Major League Baseball have told them, you know, I don't know, should did other teams rush to get this done? They thought they were getting a bargain. Uh, you know, I understand the smart thing to do would be to wait, save your $8 million or whatever amount of money you get, end up saving. But really, you're going to now, now you're going to go, uh, we're short because we made a mistake. That that doesn't work for me at all. I, I don't want to see this guy around here. I, I'd Yo, rather that I, get rid of him right now. I, I know. I, I think everybody understands that, and I would applaud that as well. I do wonder how, if they are at all restricted from doing that. I think that's what David Sampson can maybe help us understand at 8 o'clock or Amy Dash after that because, Molly, I don't know if there's any language that prevents them from wanting to act impulsively like uh, and do the right thing because you're right. The sooner the better. Just don't know how limited they might be. All right, 312-644-6767 is the telephone number. We got the extra point next. It's Mully and Haw on the score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Every year on this date, Chicagoans celebrate the anniversary of one of the greatest days in the city's sports history. 46-10, the Bears, Super Bowl 20, New Orleans. What is your first memory that pops into your mind when you hear that? And every year, the Bears organization marks the moment. Is it fair to wonder if there is much regret as pride because it's the only Super Bowl in the franchise's history? That It is fair to wonder that. There's expected so much more. And... It's the crowning achievement of so many of their careers, and you look at how they're still popular and they own the city. But I think there was the expectation that they would win again, and that is a, a tinge of regret, perhaps. But that memory, I think everybody's got their own. I was, you know, in high school. I was in small town Indiana. I was watching the game with my mom. My first reaction, frankly, I wasn't a guy who lived and died with the Bears necessarily, but I was like, this is great. This is dominant. Why didn't Walter Payton score a touchdown, Mom? <laughs> that was my first reaction that I remember. My favorite player on that team was Gary Fensick. I'd love to watch them play because of the way they played defense. But at that time, what I, what I remember, everyone's got their own sort of personal frame of reference. That was a very big weekend for me in the life of, of, uh, of my future. I was contemplating where to sign a letter of intent, which was the next week. And I had just gotten back from a, a recruiting trip from the Naval Academy. And I was weighing this and going away from home. And I was a, I was a mess. And I took four hours away from that anxiety to enjoy the Bears at Super Bowl. And it was a lot of fun. And it, it's a great memory every year. But, yeah, I, I do wish Walter Payton would have scored a touchdown doesn't take away from it, but that is the first thing, according to the question, what comes to my mind. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I just the first thing that comes to my mind is seeing the fridge bust through that line and roll in for a touchdown. I mean, and then in hindsight, of course, it's the fact that Walter Payton didn't get a chance to score, and Mike Ditka always says that's one of his greatest, if not greatest, regrets. But as great as that moment was, it was just as big of a disappointment that they were not able to repeat. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of live in that moment when we are on that day, so I don't think about, you know, what how they got there. Or what ha Just the, that glorious moment. They didn't just win that game. They they just destroyed that team. It wasn't even close. And, you know, I, I remember uh, thinking at the time, I think everyone wanted them to play Miami so they'd have revenge for the only game they had lost and all that. And uh, and it, it, it was a surprise New England team that got there, and boy, did the Bears outclass them. I, you know, the, the, the memories of that game, 
I remember Jim McMahon kind of helicoptering at one point, and you were worried that he wasn't going to be able to get up from that hit. Uh, that was just that was just one of those amazing uh, afternoons where. And I want to say, did, did Walter fumble early in that game, and uh, and the Bears did they trail by three points? Did did uh, is that what happened? And then and then I remember all the defensive guys on the sideline urging the team not to give up the the seven to get to ten. They just wanted to win forty six to three. But Single I mean, digits. what a what a unbelievable collection of talent, uh, especially on that defense. Just extraordinary and. And carrying off uh, uh, Ditka and Buddy Ryan, I mean, it, just just extraordinary stuff. Great players on uh, on that uh, football team, and, and just an amazing season. You know, there were so many games in that season where uh, the Bears were just so much better than everyone else. It was all it was just fantastic. I remember specifically the Minnesota game where McMahon came off the bench and threw these touchdowns. It's when you really realize like, Oh my God, they are so good. The game they went into Dallas. What did they beat Dallas? It was like 45 to nothing or something. That was absolutely incredible. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, guys on every level of that defense were phenomenal. I, I, I just, you, I, you're right about uh, that game, too. Tony Franklin's 36-yard field goal gave the Patriots a 3-0 lead, and you started to panic in Chicago. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was with some friends, and there were empty beer cans thrown at the television when, uh, when Walter Payton fumbled. And, and then, like, it was, it, it, there were some harsh words, and by the end of the game, it was like, oh, give Walter his touchdown. It was so funny to just watch the crowd around me uh, overreact to all, everything that was happening. And the only touchdown the Patriots scored was after it was 44-3. to The Bears scored 44 unanswered, and then Irving Fryer catches a pass to make it 44-10, to and then the safety, and the rest, as they say, is history. And, I, you know, one of my greatest memories about it is that Rick Tallender lived at the end of the uh, practice field uh, at uh, by Hallis Hall, and on his roof he, he wrote, the score 46 to 10 on his roof and then when they lost the next year Ditka made him put the paint the score from that game whatever game they got eliminated from he made him he made him paint it underneath the 46 10 and uh and Rick had that on his uh on his roof forever <laughs> it was hysterical every time you went out to the practice field he painted 46 to 10 on his roof after the yes. Bears won the Super Bowl that's right yeah and it, it had to have been there for a long time then because yeah i you know i think was, he he's obviously sold that house they've moved uh, out of that yeah. home but that's where yeah. he lived and where he raised his kids and everything it, back on uh uh again what is it now it's uh lake forest college i think that so that was Hallis hall and then you had the practice field out the back and then there was like a fence and there was there was rick's house and uh, and he he painted that uh, and it was like as I remember it was a pretty like it was a pretty uh, steep roof and he painted forty six ten like from so you could see it from the practice field and then and then when they lost Dick made him paint the second score from the next year it was hysterical it was That's there forever great. yeah great all memory. right three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven that is the telephone number. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to the score. Tell you what, college basketball always delivers, Mr. David. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, who knew when Loyola joined the Atlantic 10 it would come with free delivery? <laughs> what a bizarre, what a bizarre scene that was. It was all over social media. Uh, Loyola was playing at DeCoin and you know, the Ramblers, they're, they're having a rough year. And, uh, I guess six twenty three left in the, in the game, uh, this Uber Eats guy just kind of wanders out onto the court and they have to stop the game because, uh, I, and I, you know, I wasn't even there. I didn't even order anything. I don't, I will not be blamed. Um, bizarre just a bizarre scene and everybody had a chuckle with it but uh didn't help the ramblers very much so no there's that it it was just hilarious i I mean what 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 the heck was that 
I don't know if they Loyola would, would take over go. 10 minutes before we get a stoppage. And we've got an official's timeout. And somebody came on the floor on the far side looking for an Uber Eats delivery or something there. Is carrying some McDonald's. Oh, this has to be one of the all-time uh, greats. I'm actually not kidding. No, I, no, I this think, is the I truth. I think that's what's happening. This guy's in the corner. It looked like he... Maybe, was he going to deliver the, the McDonald's to somebody on the court? Can we rule that out? He's... A, <laughs> I mean... I think that's an Uber Eats sticker. Is that I, what that is? I'm trying to get confirmation. I, Uber yeah. Eats, yes. <laughs> I mean, come on. How, how do you do that? How do you allow that to happen? You walk into a... First of all, don't you have to have some presence of mind or awareness when you walk into a, a place that you're trying to deliver something to and it's full of people watching a basketball game not to go on the floor? Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, it seems weird to me because, I, I mean, how do you, did the guy have a ticket, right? I mean, how do you get, hey, I've got a, oh, I got an Uber Eats delivery. I'm here for, you know, yeah. It's for uh, it's for uh, Rihanna. I'm here at halftime. Uh, let me into the game. How, how is that possible? Why do I think we're going to see this on a Super Bowl commercial? And this is one big ruse. Yeah, it feels like it just it it, it was just super weird. It, I mean, the guy. It's not like he walked into the middle of the court, but you know, it was you know, it was very weird. He just he was in the corner, and it was like he was trying to get over to the bench to. Give some McDonald's to the fellas, I, I, now, you know. Now, if it was in Pittsburgh, if it was Permontes, I might understand. But You McDonald's... have bad-mouthed Permontes. Now <laughs> well, you're going to make a joke because it's well, the only Pittsburgh eatery you know. No, I, I think people appreciate Permontes much more than I do. I'm, I'm conceding <laughs> that. So if somebody wants to sit in a Duquesne basketball oh. game and say, hey, you know what it really is missing here? Loyola didn't bring it tonight, but I want some Permantes. I'm going to order something I, from Uber Eats. I've never had Permantes, uh, but I know that your problem with it is that the fries were on the sandwich, right? Ah, which coleslaw is, too. Which, oh. which is some kind of a trucker thing, right? Like if you're yes. driving, you go and yes. you – but didn't Dave kind of defend uh, Promonte Brothers? Totally. From, from you? That surprise yeah. you, yeah. Mr. Not Pittsburgh? No, not no. at all. Not at no. all. But he uh, did defend it. Uh, did they have special McDonald's in Pittsburgh we don't know about? Did they put the fries on the sandwich yes, there? It's the fries, and then you can get like, weird. Yeah, yesterday everything. was bizarre. Did you see the? Did you see the Golden State uh, a game against? Uh, I think they were playing the Grizzlies, and uh, it, and it was a. A really bizarre moment. It was late in the game, and they they show Steph is running around the corner waiting to get the ball, and Jordan Peele takes uh, Jordan Poole takes a um, thirty foot jumper, and Steph is like standing next to him, calling for the ball from about thirty five feet, and and it, and he takes the shot and misses it, and then Steph turns around and he's running down the court and he's so miffed. He takes out his mouthpiece and, and he lines yeah. it up. Like, and you're not allowed to throw anything into the crowd. He threw his mouthpiece, which is always kind of half hanging out of his mouth. So he got thrown out of the game. And, and, then, um, and then Jordan Poole ended up hitting a shot to win the game with two seconds left. They won 122 to 120. And then there was video of, uh, of, of him coming into the locker room and Steph is waiting outside to greet everyone. And he throws his mouthpiece like against the wall. And then the two of them shake hands and have a huck. That was funny. It was, was a funny it unbelievable? moment. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was, it was great. And I think it, uh, it, it was, it was one of the things that did go viral cause it was Steph Curry and it, at his best. It was a bad night though, overall for delivery drivers. Did you see the, I was, <laughs> I was watching. I was watching the local news, and the NBC Five uh, had a report out of South Bend. But my beloved South Bend, a Jimmy yeah. John's driver, pulled up to a house, delivering a sandwich, and did the whole paper route thing. You know, everyone used to have a paper route. You get on your bike, and well, back in the day, Molly, he when threw the, the sandwich. He, th he threw the sandwich like a newspaper, and it landed at the door. And she went to the place the next day, and I think got the guy fired. But they had it on video because everyone has those. Now these yeah. uh, front doorbell. porch yeah, yeah, doorbell, yeah. What, they yeah. can see. And he threw it from probably 40 feet away. And boom, hit the door. Oh. There's, there's, 
There's her ham man. sandwich laying at the step. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? Customer oh service at an God. all-time low. That is hysterical. That's very funny. I, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, I believe they have free smells at Jimmy John's, if, uh, <laughs> if you like that sort of thing. Um, wow. I, I can't believe – you know, uh, it, it's really strange sometimes – we're so we, – we've become this delivery society, right? Like – and I think it started with COVID where people, you know, where yeah. you you could get groceries from someplace, but they, they wouldn't give you, you know, entirely what you needed, what, you know, so they, all these things kind of popped up. And it, it's just amazing. Uber oh. Eats is unbelievable. I, Uber I mean, Eats has changed the way that we, we, we socialize. It has changed the way that people eat. Yes, you, everything comes you, to your doorstep. Do you order that often? No, but Molly, we both have kids at yeah, the, of a certain uh, that's age. It. That's it. That when when you know he's home, it's like so easy to just be. Well, that's what everyone does, yeah. and that's yeah. what, that's the way people live. That, and I, like, those were really? the gift cards that that were sent around this Christmas. Believe it or not, Uber Eats gift cards. I didn't even know that was a was a thing, but apparently, uh, you know. My kids got some Uber Eats cards. It's like, oh, fantastic! Like, really? Like, you well, just—you can't even go to the fast food place. And I don't know. They—they well, they go to regular places it, too. It, but. It's just not the kids, I suppose. I don't want to be generationally, you know, uh, unfair here because you could conceivably order Uber Eats for what you want to eat. You could order from the grocery store what you, when you need to shop. And then anything else you need, you can go to Amazon and have it delivered to your doorstep. You don't have to leave your living yeah. room to yeah. function anymore. Yeah, I I um I ordered some stuff from uh, Amazon uh, yesterday that uh, I, I kind of I was I was amused at myself uh, that I was doing it, but I I needed some like erasers for the top of pencils. Like, you wouldn't believe like how absurd my ordering was. It was just so <laughs> stupid. I had about three or four little things that I didn't want to go to office max or go. Yeah. I just didn't yeah. want to run around. I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll order this stuff. Well, uh, so I get it at home. Every day when I get home, it's like a, a guessing game. How many packages will be on the front right. porch and what right. will we need? Oh, is, is today dog food day? Okay. I'll see that and take it in. Oh, what is this? Uh, another sweater. Okay, fine. I'm not going to ask any questions. You just kind of pick up the boxes and you put them in. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a delivery society. And I guess that's what we yeah. saw with Loyola Duquesne. And it reminded yeah. some people of a certain age too, Molly. Remember Spicoli in Ridge, Fast Times at Ridgemont that's right. High? That's right. Delivering Mr. the Hand, pizza you, in the middle of yeah. class. That's awesome. He has a pizza come in. Yeah, Spicoli. That was uh, – Sean Penn, right? Isn't that uh, the actor? Sean Penn was Bacoli? yeah. I think it's good memory. Yeah, good way yeah. to pull that one out of the oh, yeah. the, uh, the memory yeah. bank. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild stuff. All right, we've got uh, we got to bring in our guy Big Z. We're gonna we're gonna Big Z always delivers. Uh, but we'll, he always uh, delivers. We'll talk to him next. <laughs> it's it's Mully and Haw on the score. Who is it, Mr. Pizza Guy, sir? Quarter the double cheese and sausage. Right here, dude. <laughs> We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.